You are listening to a message from City Church of Richmond, located in Richmond, Virginia. We are a broken people, loved by God, continually restored by Christ, and sent out to worship God, serve our city, and work for its renewal. To learn more about City Church and to find out how to get connected to our community, visit our website at citychurchrva.com. That's C-I-T-Y-C-H-U-R-C-H-R-V-A.com. And thanks for listening. It's uh, really good to see all of you here this afternoon. Thank you for joining us for worship here at City Church. My name's Eric Bonkowski, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church. I was thinking this week about uh, a, a freshman seminar I took in college. This was uh, 25 years ago or, or so, and it was like the peak liberal arts experience. You know, every, every uh, stereotype you can imagine, it was... Uh, a small seminar with about 12 other students, and we were gathered around a mahogany table in uh, a stone building, and the professor showed up the first day of class wearing tweed, I'm sure, and he had, you know, long flowing black hair, and his name was Eduardo. Uh, I don't remember his last name, but Eduardo was our professor. And the, the subject of this seminar was the ethics of friendship, the ethics of friendship. And uh, we read the, the kind of the canon of friendship in Western culture. So we read from Aristotle and Cicero and Montaigne and Emerson. And even Nietzsche was on the reading list, learning about friendship and talking about it with other bright-eyed freshmen at this liberal arts school. And uh, I was thinking about that this week because I want to talk today about friendship. I'm going to talk about it from the Bible. Oddly enough, we didn't read any selections from the Bible in the Ethics of Friendship class. But uh, it, I share all this to say that it's a topic I've been thinking about for a long time. It's been, it's been of interest to me for 25 years. And I, I went back this week and I was able to find notes from other sermons that I've given on this topic or related to it. About four years ago, I preached a sermon that was focused on friendship. Uh, seven years ago, Meg and I led a summer Bible study that was uh, called Redeeming Friendship, looking at uh, the topic of friendship in different passages throughout Scripture. We even put together a little manuscript proposal at the end of that summer and sent it off to a Christian publisher because we were sure that this was going to be our big break in becoming uh, world-famous uh, curriculum developers. Needless to say, they did not pick up uh, the offer. Uh, but alas... Here we are, still thinking about friendship. I think that friendship as a topic is evergreen. Uh, and I think that the last two years of life in the midst of COVID have made it even evergreener. Uh, the main reason I want to talk about this is not because of the ethics of friendship seminar that I took years ago, but because of the conversations that I've been having with a lot of you, where I sit down across the table from you and you say, I am the loneliest I've ever been in my life. And when you say to me, I feel as though my uh, friendships have changed and I don't know what to do about that. Uh, I think this is a topic that is poignant for each of us, whatever our stage of life. And I think it's one that the Bible also speaks to, not directly, but obliquely, implicitly, and very helpfully. And so what I want to do today is I'm going to offer first three observations about friendship, and then I want to share three habits of friendship. 
And in order to do that, I want to be rooted in a passage of Scripture, and I'm going to read from John chapter 15. It's just a few verses. I'm going to read John 15, verses 12 through 17. So if you have a Bible, follow along with me there, or it's also printed in the worship guide, and you're welcome to read uh, silently as I read this out loud. Let's give it our attention, because this is God's Word for us this afternoon. It says this, and this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He said, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you please pray with me? Gracious Father, we ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, meet us in this place. Reveal to us the places that our hearts and our lives ache for friendship and point us back to the truth that through Jesus Christ, we indeed are friends of God. We pray this all through the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. All right, so let me start with three observations about friendship. I'm going to make uh, observations that are societal, circumstantial, and personal. The first is societal. The societal observation about friendship is that uh, the forces of individualism, individualism and digitalization have conspired to erode the foundations of friendship in large measure. The societal moment that we live in, number one, it's dominated by individualism. We've talked about this before. Um, but it, it shows up again and again in different places. We tend to graduate high school at the same time as our peers, but immediately after that, we're off to different places and we're moving at different speeds so that friendship can become more and more complicated. As we're pursuing career and um, relationships and uh, power and influence, we start moving in directions where we become uh, untethered from any sort of community and relationship that has told us who we are, that has grounded us. It's individualism, and it erodes the foundations of friendship. Similarly, digitalization does the same thing. And here I'm talking about our mediated existence through screens. And primarily, for most of us, this is our phones. Uh, think about the ways that phones have changed the way that we relate to each other and the pursuit of friendship. I remember this was 20 years ago. I was working in youth ministry, and it was uh, the, the first time where I was driving a student home, and the entire way on the, on the way home, they were on their phone texting. And I was like, I am in the car right next to you. There's an opportunity for embodied interaction, but they preferred to interact through a screen. That's the kind of thing that we don't even think about now, but it has fundamentally changed uh, our, our posture and our habits around friendship. So uh, that's the first observation, just something that's going on at a societal level. I think we need to name that. Uh, second, a circumstantial observation. 
And this is more particular to City Church and where we as a collective find ourselves. So the, the overwhelming demographic reality at City Church is young people, especially young families, or as I like to call it, where friendships go to die. There's a reality to this that circumstantially many of you are in a phase of life that makes friendship very difficult. We need to name that. The literature around friendship says that people have the most friends they'll ever have at age 25. And, and some, of the, uh, some of this literature that I'm sharing actually comes from last month's uh, Atlantic magazine. They have a couple of really good articles on, on friendship. And uh, at age 25, you'll have the most friends that you'll ever have. So for some of us, you know, we, peak friendship passed us a long time ago. Uh, David Brooks also has a recent article in the New York Times, and in that article, it's all about friendship. And he says that uh, uh, a, a friendship takes 50 hours of time to form. And then to move from just sort of regular friend to close friend, it takes an additional 100 hours. So circumstantially, think about your life. Where do you have 50 hours outside of work? Where do you have 50 hours even to form a friend if you wanted to have a friend? Circumstantially, friendship can become difficult. So for me, some of those places now are really through hobbies. You know, I, I talk constantly about biking, right? So where do my friendships come from? It's shared time riding a bike. Because over the course of a couple months, 50 hours is conceivable. Where in your life do you even have the margin for friendship like that? Here's another circumstantial factor that weighs on friendship that I think we need, to, we need to mention, and it's COVID. It's the last two years. COVID has been this intensifier around friendship. There's, uh, it, it's been a, a sort of a circumstantial intensifier. Someone describes COVID and its relation to friendship as like a centrifuge. It's spun all of our friendships, and it has revealed which ones have sunk to the bottom and which ones have floated to the top. Which are your thin friendships and which are your thick friendships? You know, a year or so ago, this was very uh, obvious. It was inescapable as we all formed our little quarantine bubbles. And you either felt on the inside or, for many of us, we felt on the outside, didn't we? The circumstances of COVID have been a revealer around the reality of friendship in our lives. Here's, uh, here's the last thing I'll say about these circumstances, and I think it's really important. Because what has happened, if we're honest about our circumstances, is that our circumstances around friendship have changed, but our definition of friendship has not. And that creates this disconnect. Because the circumstances of our lives have moved to a different place, but we're still holding on to this platonic ideal of friendship from when we were in high school or from when we were in college. And they're simply implausible anymore. You're too busy at work. You're too busy with family. You're too busy with uh, all the other things that you have. And you know what? You're not living in a dorm with a, a thousand other potential friends. The circumstances of life have changed. Has your definition of friendship changed to keep pace? Here's the reality. Friendship changes through life. What it looks like, what it feels like. And, kind of a corollary to that, each individual friendship changes. That's okay. It doesn't mean you've failed. And the sooner that we can recognize that reality of the circumstances of friendship, the better off we'll be.
Okay, societal observation, a circumstantial observation. Thirdly, a personal observation. What I mean by this is I don't think that we can look at friendship and just blame society, right? Oh, well, these societal factors that are at work. And we can't just look at the circumstances of our lives and say, well, it's just where I am in life, too bad. I think there's another contributing factor to sort of this crisis of friendship, and it's personal. It has to do with what's going on in our hearts, in our minds, kind of our emotional well-being. And and there are two things specifically that I want to mention. Number one, I think many of us are afraid. We're afraid of friendship. And I think the older we get, the more uh, prevalent this can be. Because quite frankly, we've lived through a lot of friendships, and we've seen a lot of friendships uh, fall apart either dramatically and traumatically, or in sort of that gray dissolve that some friendships just fade away. And what we have done in response to that is uh, we have internalized the wounds and the pains of those lost friendships, and we say, I don't want to go through that anymore. So we're afraid. We're afraid of what friendship might cost us, what it might feel like again. Here's the other thing that I think is going on personally for many of us. It's that we're jealous is we're jealous. I think that in our friendships, many of us, day by day, are gripped by envy. We're constantly comparing our friendships to someone else's friendships. We're constantly thinking, am I as best a friend with that person as they are with somebody else? I was reading something uh, a couple weeks ago, and it said that envy is what idolatry feels like. It's like, oh man, that's good. Envy is what idolatry feels like. If, if you identify with this feeling of jealousy around friendship, my guess is that you have made friendship into an idol, a particular friendship or the idea of friendship more generally into an idol. Right? So uh, we've got these issues around societal issues, circumstantial and personal issues, all playing into how we approach friendship. Well, what do we do? It's kind of a, a, a somber start here. It's looking a little bleak. Well, again, I think Scripture gives us an indication of how we can think about friendship, how we can redeem friendship. You know, that David Brooks article that I alluded to earlier, another thing he says in that article is that we lack the necessary relational skills to form friendships. I think he's right. I think that what's, what's happened is we haven't been trained or habituated around friendship in the way that we need to. And that's why I want to share three habits of friendship that I think are, uh, th- that are principles that last all time. The principles that come from this passage in John 15. Principles that are uh, patterned after Jesus and the way that he relates to us and to his friends. I think it's particularly important to talk about these habits of friendship right now, again, because of the two years we're coming out of with COVID. I think that COVID has uh, made us really lazy around relationships, um, and and we we sort of get stuck in these patterns. Inertia sets in, and even if we we, we can identify, gosh, I'm disconnected, I'm as lonely as I've ever been, we, we don't know how to break out of that. A friend of mine uh, a week or so ago was telling me that uh, his son uh, still likes wearing his mask over his face. Even though he knows uh, when he's outside, he can take the mask off, but he, he still likes the feeling of having his mask on his face. I think the same is true for us with a lot of our, our habits around friendship and relationship. They were formed over the last two years, and we're not so sure we want to break out of those habits. Well, 
let me share these three habits with you and encourage you to allow the Spirit of God to reshape, reform the way that you think about friendship. The first is this, grace. The first habit of friendship is grace. Look at where this passage starts. Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. How did Christ love the disciples? How did he love his friends? Well, it was rooted in grace. What I mean by that is unearned favor, unearned love. Grace is the the only thing that can create a true context of vulnerability and intimacy. The kind of context where friendship is born and where it grows. You know that moment in a friendship when it comes along and uh, you, you take the risk to allow someone to really know you, to know your junk, to know your stuff. That is uh, rooted in grace. It's only grace that will allow you to break through uh, the, the, the posing, the veneer that we all present all the time. I think that's what Jesus did again and again and again. And we see it throughout the Gospels. Right? He would interact with these people, and the, the start of the interaction, they would be kind of standoffish. But Jesus would press, and he would probe, and he would ask that question. He would say, tell me, what's your name? What's really going on inside? He would say, tell me about your pain. He was gracious. They had done nothing to, to deserve that, nothing to earn it, but Christ pressed into that space allowed them to be vulnerable, created this intimacy. Grace is a habit of friendship that we need to recover. It says a little bit further down in in verse 16, the same idea, the same principle of the habit of grace. You did not choose me, but I chose you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. That is at the root of Christian friendship. Friendship flows Uh, from Jesus' love, not from the loveliness of the one that he chooses to love. It's his grace that moves towards another, even towards ones who who is unlovely, who's not expecting to receive love at all. Jesus says, I choose you. I choose you to be my friend. Uh, We we see this uh, again and again throughout the Gospels. You know, one of, the, one of the other lines that stood out to me in, in this Atlantic article about friendship was, uh, it, it says that what makes friendship both special and fragile is, that you, is the need to continually opt in. True friendship, you're constantly opting in. You're saying, I'm going, I choose you today. I choose to be your friend. I choose to move into your junk. I choose to stay by your side. We keep choosing. What is God's grace if not his continually opting in to love you? That's what it is. That's what the message of the gospel is. So I want you to think about your friendships. Where is a friendship in your life where you are choosing to continually opt in? To show grace. Make grace a habit of your friendships. That's the first habit. The second habit is this. It's service. It's service. Look again at the rest of verse 16. Sorry, that must, that's not the right verse. Um, it's verse 13. It says, Greater love has no man than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. Service. 
I think service or sacrifice is another word we, we could use. Laying down your life. That is a habit that's at the center of true biblical friendship. It was for Jesus Christ. He's, he's kind of defining the, uh, the, the, the pinnacle of friendship here. Greater love has no one than this. And he lays down his life for his friends. That's what true friendship is about. It's not about you being served. It's about you serving. You see how the gospel, the gospel friendship, flips our expectations of friendship upside down. We see this again and again in what Jesus did, how he interacted with people, and in the stories that he taught. Think about the parable of the Good Samaritan. I think the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, in many ways, is a parable about what friendship is. It starts with grace, right? The Samaritan sees a man with nothing to commend in and of himself, lying by the side of the road. He moves towards him, and he gives of himself. He cares for him. He pours out money. He takes him to an inn and says, whatever cost he incurs, credit it to my account, and I'll return and care for him. It's service. It's laying down his life for another. You see, uh, the Good Samaritan is often told as, uh, do you remember what, that, what, what the parable starts with? It starts with a question that Jesus has asked. And it says, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus doesn't really answer that question. He doesn't say who the neighbor is, but he explains how to live as a neighbor. Apply that to friendship. We all walk out into the world and say, well, who is my friend? And Jesus turns it around and says, how can you act as a friend to another? By service. By laying down your life. Greater, lo greater love has no one than this. And he lays down his life for his friends. Uh, the, the habit of friendship is a habit of activity, not passivity. Many of us are, are uh, looking around at the world and saying, who will be my friend? And I think the gospel is compelling us to look at the world and say, who will I be a friend to? I've said it colloquial, uh, colloquially before. Need a friend? Be a friend. It's, 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 the, it's the way that the Bible leads us. And yet the default posture of our fallen hearts is often uh, to, uh, to want something for ourselves and to look around and, and feel uh, victimized by all the things that we haven't received, all the ways that we haven't been befriended, we haven't been loved, we haven't been served. Jesus, look to him. First of all, he loves you and he serves you. That's his grace. And second of all, he calls you to lay down your life for your friends, to continually opt in, to move towards them. What is God's love? If not, his own sacrifice through his son on our behalf. So ask yourself as you think about friendships in your life, where is a friendship in your life that you are laying down yourself for another? The first two habits of friendship, grace, the habit of grace, the habit of service or sacrifice. Here's the third habit of friendship. It's mission. It's mission. Here's where I want you to look at verse 16 again. It says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide. Jesus moves in friendships towards the disciples and he pushes them out on mission. He says, your job now, your purpose is to bear fruit. He says this uh, uh, in, in other places throughout the gospel. We have a job to do as Jesus' friends. 
he talks about it earlier on. He says, uh, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I've heard from my father. I have made known to you. Mission is wrapped up in that. Jesus says, you're not my servants anymore. You're my friends because you know what God's purpose in the world is. You have something to do as my friends. Friendship is not defined just by uh, circling up and, and slapping each other on the back and looking in each other's eyes and saying, man, we're such good friends. No, it has a purpose out in the world to bear fruit. And then I think this bearing fruit means a lot of different things. It means uh, flourishing and a full life, but it certainly also means that your life is sanctified. You're bearing the fruit of sanctification. You're looking more and more like Jesus. I think it also means the fruit of evangelism and ministry. It means that other people look at your lives, they look at your friendships, and they say, I want in on that. How can I, how can I become a friend of Christ's? Do your friendships bear fruit? This is somewhat counterintuitive, this last point. But I think the richest friendships that we'll find in life actually send us out towards other people. And I have seen many friendships through the years that have, uh, th- that have died, that have withered away. They've been asphyxiate, asphyxiated because they're so inward focused. The relationship itself demands all the oxygen in the room. And there's no mission There's no purpose beyond the friendship itself. Jesus is saying, no, a habit of friendship is that you would be engaged in mission, that you would go out towards others. So I discovered this week, I never noticed this before. There aren't a lot of places in the Bible that uh, explicitly talk about friendship. Stephen read one of them for us this afternoon. It's in uh, Isaiah 41. And verse 8 says this, But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend. My friend. And this verse stood out to me a little bit, partly because we've just finished uh, Genesis, thank God, last week. Um, we, we made it all the way through the book of Genesis, right? And we had, we've been talking about these guys who are mentioned here. Israel, yeah, check. Abraham, Jacob, yeah. And then it talks about Abraham, and it says, Abraham, my friend. God doesn't call a lot of people his friends throughout Scripture. Here he calls Abraham his friend. But there's another reason this stood out to me. Did you notice that Stephen read this, that the the words that are used here are very similar to the words that are used in John 15? Servant, chosen, friend. I I, I can't prove this, but I, I... I have a sneaking suspicion that Isaiah 41 was in the back of Jesus' mind as he uh, talked to his disciples in John 15. He knew that he was the the true suffering servant of Isaiah. And he's picking up this language on purpose. And so, as he says, you are my friends. No longer do I call you servants. You did not choose me, but I chose you. He's doing that on purpose because he wants to root his habit of friendship in the, the, the Old Testament and how God has interacted with his people throughout time. But there's a little bit more to it, too, because then I kept reading in Isaiah. And uh, you read in Isaiah 41 and you see all these connections to John 15. And then you flip over to the conclusion in Isaiah 43, and God says this, 
You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant, whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Again, these same words keep appearing, servant, chosen, but Isaiah 43, verse 10, adds this new word that's really important, witnesses. That's mission. That's mission, and it's there in Isaiah. It's in the Old Testament. Why? Because it's hardwired into how God designed friendship to work. It doesn't exist just for you. It exists that you would witness the glory and the grace of God to others. And so Jesus also in John, as he's talking to his friends, he says, this, I give you a new commandment that you would love one another as I have loved you. Why? So that all men will know that you are my disciples. Your friendship becomes the way that you witness to the God who loves you and saves you. That's a habit of friendship that we need to recover. It's not enough for us to just think about ourselves or even the people within this room. Our friendships need to be sending friendships. You see, God chose people back in Isaiah to be his friends and order them to be witnesses of his love. Jesus chose his disciples to be his friends. Why? So, they wit- so that they would witness to God's love. And Jesus now calls you his friend. Why? In order that you would become a witness of his love. Friendship needs mission. What is God's mission? If not sending us out as friends. So again, as you think about your friendships, where within your friendships are you being sent out? To wrap things up, let me just remind you that the pattern for our friendships is Jesus. He's the example Remember today how he has been your friend, how he is your friend, how he went to the cross in order to secure your friendship. It's the great message of the gospel, uh, our assurance of pardon today from Romans 5. While we were still enemies, Christ died for us. Why? To make us the friends of God. So Jesus is the pattern of friendship. The church ought to be the setting for friendship, right? We, we talked about what's going on societally. We talked about the circumstances of our lives. We talked about what's going on inside us personally. Well, God has given us the church to be an encouraging incubator for friendships, a place where we can come and remember that Christ is our friend, that he is the pattern of our friendship, that we have resources to move out into the world in friendship with others. You need the church to encourage you into friendship. I was talking to someone this week, and they said, sort of offhandedly, they said, uh, they were, I, think were, I think they were talking about a friend, and they said, oh yeah, I have a friend that, who's going to this counselor, and, and he refers to the counselor as a friend that he pays for. And I thought, oh man, we've lost it. Don't get me wrong, I'm all for professional counselors. They have an important role. But if we have to pay for our friends, if that's the only friend we have, then the church has failed. We must be those friends for one another. Choosing again and again to opt in, to lay down our lives for others. Jesus is the pattern, the church is the setting, and last, remember what I started with, that grace 
is the engine of friendship. Grace. It's always grace. Friendships built on works will always let you down. They'll never pay you back enough. It's grace. Jesus is grace to you. Your grace to others. Uh, few weeks back, I was up in Pennsylvania visiting my best friend. His name's Shad. He's a pastor. I've known him for 24 years, and uh, he asked me to speak at his church that Sunday I was there. And uh, as he introduced me and as I shared a little bit, we, we joked around a little bit about our friendship. And what I spoke about that week doesn't really matter But what matters is that the number of people who afterwards said to me and said to Shad, I wish I had a friend like that. It's nothing special about Shad or me. It's just that we've committed to these habits over the last 24 years of grace, of service, of mission. The world is desperate for that. You're desperate for it. So let us be people who know and understand that Jesus is our friend and that move out in grace towards one another with friendship like his. Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we bless you and praise you for your word and for the truth that it contains. We acknowledge today that uh, some of us have really been laid bare by this message. We feel in new ways our our lack, our hurt, our emptiness. Uh, Father, I pray that you, through the gospel and its good news, would meet us and remind us that we belong, that we are loved. And Father, I pray by your Holy Spirit that this church, this place, would be a setting for unexpected friendship. That... uh, especially those who feel lonely today, uh, maybe would meet someone after church today who would be a friend. And Father, would you help all of us to be sent out towards one another, knowing that friendship is, is not a mere comfort or convenience of life, but it is part of your mission that all would know you and your love. We pray this through Jesus' name. Amen.